Chick, chick, never mind the chick. Man, you got a bell here. You got a bell. Hang on. She's a dandy. You not only have a bell, but you've got your friend. Guess who? Chicken is back, or I'm back. Chicken's here. Chicken stays here all the time in the uh, passenger door. Uh, yeah, sitting in cell on a wet Saturday, September 25th, I believe. Somewhere around there, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Soon going to be too dark to read inside. I mean, I've got lights, but the point of reading in the road track is just to uh, make use of the nice daylight all the windows here. Sitting in the front seat, and or turned towards the back, my feet up, my slippers on, and got a new radio station on, uh, I think it's CUIT, maybe a university station, uh, 89.5, I think, in Toronto, and um, I'm enjoying it, I've been playing ska all day, and uh, it's pretty pleasant. I came out here to read, and uh, I just finished the... Rosie Crucifixion chapter in uh, Henry Miller's um, biography, the one I'm reading, the one I've quoted from. And uh, if I have time, which I'll make time, ooh, will I go to the book about uh, Dow, or will I go back to the easy one, The End of Eternity? which I've enjoyed. I'm going to turn this down a little bit. When the talking is on, it's not so amusing. Um, yeah. Saturday, and I thought, gosh, is it already time to start another podcast? And the other voice said, well, why not? <laughs> Never stopped you before. Uh, so nothing in particular. Went out and bought a pair of jeans today at Mark's. Had You know, you get these coupons or things in the mail, you know, through Canadian Tire, this percent off here, and then uh, there were sales on. This was clearance anyway, so $40 for a pair of jeans, which I used to think was outrageous, but now it's uh, it's pretty reasonable, I understand. And uh, what else? Bought a loaf of bread? Oh, good. That was on sale. Two fifty normally, $2 today. All right, good. My caraway bread from B&A Bakery. The only problem was, Nelko asked me to get donuts. Now, Nelko had been working all day. Saturday is the clean the house, do the laundry, who knows what else. It's just a long list of all-day things. So, of course, when she asked for a croissant and uh, some donuts, I'm going to say sure. Uh, the problem was I didn't have a coupon. Like, donuts are a dollar a piece, you know, $6 for six donuts. But always I have these coupons for me. Oh, you got you got this many to use until this date, three forty nine for your six donuts, which is you know almost half price. Uh, and so I I only buy them when they're that price. But today I didn't have one of those coupons; they'd expired, and it, it really it really bothered me. So I had points, and I, I so I went in. This is not going to be a drive through. The line was right up into the road anyway. 
this was going to go in. I asked the guy, how can I use these points? And he was new. He was a rookie, and he, he, was, he wasn't sure about these things. But anyway, I got the cross all for free, so that made it less painful to uh, spend $6 on donuts, which should have been three fifty. <laughs> Little things like that. I've uh, On a bigger picture, I have, you know, invites from John Meadows, you know, let's meet at the only or meet at the uh, Square Boy and have lunch and have a beer. And I'm holding back. I'm feeling guilty about spending any money that's not necessary. Uh, you know, when I go camping, I buy beer. But, of course, you know, we're talking $3 a can or a little more. And... I don't drink that many. And uh, so the idea of going out and spending, oh, it's going to be $7, $8 with your tip at least or maybe more. You know, dropping $20 anyway for a little bit of, well, enjoyable conversation. That's what I want. But I can't justify $20 when I don't have any money coming in. And it's it's a sad state of affairs. I, I don't feel sad. I don't feel sorry for myself. I just feel... Gosh, I'd like to hang out with you, John, but can't do it. Maybe maybe we can meet for a coffee instead. I can pay for a coffee. That's not a problem. So, there you go. Thought I'd throw that in there just to give you an idea of where I'm at. Oh, I'm feeling good overall. I ordered ski poles. I wouldn't have told you that. Remember, I did, I did try them out when I went through physio and... and uh, the uh, fine uh, gentleman who heads our uh, men's group monthly meetings, monthly Zooms, um, recommended a particular pair. And they came to about $100, but it's free shipping. And I could have bought them at a wellness store attached to Shoppers Drug Mart. But they're, <laughs> they've been handled by everybody who walks into the store, including me, and they didn't have the same selection, and this seemed a much better deal. No, these are brand new, coming from a supplier. I think they're made in Germany. So um, that's good, and, and I'm, I'm hoping that is going to encourage me to uh, get out and do some faster walking than what I do now, which is an old man tottering along with a cane, you know. These things you can maybe build up a little cardio workout or something, but I'll see, and should have balance. Anyway, having tried them at the um, at the uh, Providence Healthcare Center, under the guidance of my uh, physiotherapist, uh, they seemed a very good good decision to make. So that's done. Little things, you know, progress. Oh, oh, and bigger news, I booked a weekend in uh, Windsor, Ontario. Windsor, which I talk about a lot, and... I always feel this there's something there are special things in your life and people have favorite vacation places or a favorite place to dine or something and one of mine is visiting Tom and Shane and uh, of course their uh, their their current spouses whoever they happen to be uh, in um, in Windsor and it's always a gas. So uh, Tom's going to pick me up at the train station. Oh, I booked the train. Like, this is commitment. This is, hey, you're going to do it or not? You know? You, you're, you're, are you just going to talk about it? Well, do it. It's like the camping, you know? You're going to go camping again before winter gets in? Well, then you better fucking book a, a park somewhere. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, I booked the weekend in Windsor, and uh, you'll be hearing about that for sure. And it's always, always, always 
an event, spending an evening drinking a lot of beer in the Fog Lounge and usually a little bit high too. Although not to the degree I was the time I greened out and had to be sort of carried into the back, into the kitchen. And uh, you, not a good one. No, there'll be none of that. Oh, maybe some gummies. Yeah, maybe I got gummies here that I got to use up. Okay. Those cookies, you know what they're like. You would have heard on the last podcast. By the way, I don't get it. I don't have the time to listen to my own podcast. I, I don't know. After I've put it together, you know, I've heard bits and pieces of just where the clips join together, but uh, not much else. So I don't know what the overall effect is. And I guess it doesn't much matter. It's just something I have to do. Uh, now, where were we? Well, we were nowhere. I'm just sort of uh, filling up the air a little bit. Filling up the air with words. Yeah. Um, I just did want to, uh, while I'm out here, I thought, no, yeah, get get started, get going. This will be Dixon Jane's podcast number 863. I don't think that one from Mossport will ever be coming out. I don't think I'll ever have the time. Oh, I know. I, something else I did today. I read the um, the notes and messages, the uh, newsletter from our church, West Hill United. I say our church. I, it's the church I said I'm no longer a member of, but that's not... I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'd feel very uncomfortable going back because I feel... I don't know if I've burned bridges, but mm, something ain't right. And... Um, but they're doing another book study, and instead it's going to be a course. And it's a course on Native Studies, and it sounds excellent. It's uh, it's one of these Courseras, I think, or something like that, um, that you can take for free. You can get a credit if you want to pay for it, but you can take it for free, and you get all the same material and readings, a lot of videos to watch, a lot of questions, and little quizzes to do. And this is about uh, Native History. And it sounds excellent. And, and I realized, okay, this is not, you know, the things I was pushing back against a little bit. Um, you know, and I don't know if I'll, uh, I'll wear an orange shirt while I'm taking the course. But I will, I will, I will do it with... Uh, with appreciation for the fact that somebody is out there and, and will give a very good informative history of a lot of information I probably don't know at all and uh, very likely from a very different perspective from the history I got from the Protestant School Board of Greater Montreal. I can tell you that right now. Uh, so that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And, um, yeah, that we'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. I did send out uh, uh, a suggestion to get together with a friend who listens to this podcast. So uh, shout out to John. <laughs> a little bit. I'll just do a little bit of background. John is part of a family. John is one of four uh, in a family. One of them is no longer with us now. Um, who moved to Lachine, I guess, from British Columbia and uh, John was younger and had a twin sister who I knew who was a very interesting person, a, a beautiful young lady who went by at least one different name. Um, 
John was one of these people who just knows things and is, is practical, can fix things, can do things. Has all the skills I am lacking uh, in terms of something electrical or something that just involves a little bit of logic or, or clear thinking or a mechanical understanding. John has that, and it's uh, these are these are wonderful things. Um, but I haven't seen John for twenty years, so I'm hoping within the next two weeks, um, his older sister kindly bought him the two books that uh, I'm going to give him, and that's sort of the the pretense of the excuse for getting together. Not that we needed one, but it just it was the 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 nudge, the motivating factor. I guess say, hey. Why don't we meet? Um, John will would like to visit to meet Sal, where I'm sitting right now. That's good. Although Sal is just, it really looks like when I bought this thing, and most other people when they show off their road trek, they are spotless, inside and out. Everything is just put away, and I've got mine kind of. Well, it's got that used look, like we're still using it. Like my sleeping bag isn't rolled up, it's still on the, the bed is still half made. There's, you know, vests and clothing and extra cushions. Out. It's, just, it's just a mess. But, hey, that's what I'm using. And I've got a barbecue in there. Oh, sorry, we were talking about the uh, this family. So, I'm in grade 11. And this woman shows up one day. This woman, I said this woman, but she, they were girls, but she seemed like a woman. Showed up one day in class. A beautiful young lady. Uh, long blonde hair at the time. And I was just, wow, who is this and where did she came come from? And she, I've referred to her, she comes up in the letters a lot. Oh, actually, anybody who's read the letters will come across um, a person called Robin, uh, sometimes known. Um, that was a, she has two names also. I'll just, we'll just use the one for now. That's Robin, like the bird. Uh, she showed up in my class and I immediately was not smitten, but just I'm interested. Wow. Um She's the first person I ever met who was Bohemian. Who, you know, everybody else was white middle class kids in Lachine from regular middle class white families who, you know, they're all different, but they're all the same. But Robin was something special. Um, I, I remember one of the first questions she ever asked in class, and I remember it because I didn't know well, where, where did that come from. I think the teacher had the same reaction. We had a very good English teacher. And the question was, what is Rhapsody of the Deep, I think. Now, I don't even know if that's the correct phrase. Is it Rhapsody of the Blue or Rhapsody of the Deep? Something like that that she asked. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to Google this and look it up. Find out. And, and I think it blew the cloud. Everybody right away. All right. She, she said who she is. Now everybody else can just sit there. Anyway, we hit it off. We just hit it off. We became tight friends. Uh, I, I was enamored by her. We went out once. I'm jumping around here. You know, there, there's probably a chronology here. But we went out once on what I thought was a date with two friends from Vermont. Well, nobody I knew in Lachine High had friends in Vermont. 
who could drive up on the weekend or whatever. And we went out drinking. Uh, me in the back seat with Robin and her two friends in the front, whose names I forget. But uh, and I don't even know how she knew them. But this was something. Wow, this is beyond. I, I'm stretched way beyond my normal machine confines. We're driving out to uh, Durfee or somewhere off the island of Montreal because we're underage, and and these are bars that they know we can get into. Uh, and I'm drinking quarts of beer, and, and I think we were drinking in the car, and, and it was... At some point, I probably got very sick. I'm pretty sure that happened on that, air quotes, date. Uh, and we went back to being friends right after after that night. I do know we were in the Point Clare Hotel. I don't know where else we were, but anyway. And, and in a way, it was a good thing, because it changed, you know, we're, we're friends. Uh, I stayed with Robin for a long time, many years later in Toronto, when she lived on Palmerston Boulevard. That comes up in the letters too, in fact. So it's interesting. I'm only now talking about this. Thanks, John, for putting me on this track. Um, she, She had a wonderful cat called Tugboat, and I spent a lot of time with Tugboat on my chest, just sitting there and listening to music and going to movies. And she was the first person I knew. Well, she went. She said, we're going to go and see The Harder They Come, the Jimmy Cliff film from Jamaica, which was new then. She was going to yoga classes. Nobody else I knew was going to yoga back then, talking mid-70s. Um, she was just a neat person. Always had kind of exotic boyfriends, too. Um just and a person who's now out west, and you know, I, I, I haven't seen for a few years, a couple of years, but uh, I do. If I go back out west, I will. Back to Lachine days, we would meet after school sometimes, and we had a favorite tree that was a halfway point between her house and my house, and we called it the silver. It was a, a tree that had silver leaves that blew in the wind, and that became something special. Meet you at the Silver Tree. This is before internet or anything, of course. You know, we just agreed. And that's where we'd meet. And uh, she would come into the house sometimes and talk to my mother. Um, I think my mother may have cautioned me. I'm not sure that, you know, this girl is out of your league or something along that line. I don't know. But they would talk about art because Robin was an artist. Uh Quite again, I, I, I mean, I, I, I rave about these interesting people I know. I mentioned Shane and Tom earlier, who you're probably tired of hearing about, but I haven't mentioned some of the ones that go way, way, way back to the '60s. And Robin is that one. Now, um, then came the time in 1970s, early '70s, when the migration out of Montreal, everybody leaving, going to lot stopped in Toronto, but uh, my tribe kept going all the way to Vancouver, starting with Bruce, 50 years ago this month. And um, I followed, I guess, the year after, in the fall of 72. Um, One of the pioneers first to go out was Robin's older brother, Richard. Now, I didn't know, Richard didn't want to know Robin's friends. And Richard was a year older at least, and knew my friends, Bruce, a.k.a. Barnacle Bill, and knew Glenn, uh, 
Debbie's brother. Other names that will appear on many pages in, in the books. Glenn, Debbie, Bruce. Um, and Richard. And he appears as well. I, interesting history with Richard. I won't go into all the details. There was a few rough spots. But uh, it grew to be, wow, Richard, once he was settled in Vancouver, this is a place I want to spend an afternoon. Richard, who had all his records filed in mood order that nobody else understood. I've mentioned that before. Richard, who needed a table, so he got one of these reels, these huge reels for copper wire or something that he rolled up the stairs to his apartment, turned it over, uh, was a heavy smoker, so got tired of emptying ashtrays. So there was a hole in the middle of the table. He screwed a giant, like a pickle jar or something, a giant glass jar, screwed it into this hole, had an ashtray on top, and then when the ashtray was full, he would just dump it into this pickle jar that was attached to the table to hold all the ashes. Like it was in, Richard was a genius. Richard was... Eugene, he was he was like he was studying physics under Professor Bunga at McGill, and then kind of had to give it all up. Uh, I guess I don't know if money was a factor or not, um, but anyway, ended up going out west, driving out there uh, in his might have been the Corvair at that point, with Glenn and Pandy the dog, who Richard kept records of how many how many poops cups of poop Brandy Pam Brandy did a day. Um, eccentric. Everybody in the family eccentric. There's no, there's no slur there. There's no insult. I think they would all own up to it. Sadly, 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 Richard uh, died of things that could have been fixed, except he had a great mistrust of doctors and hospitals, and and he, he could be an abrasive. I know we were talking about Rob, and we were talking about John, but we can't leave out Richard, who uh, did have an abrasive personality, which a lot of people just had difficulty with, could not get beyond. I, again, I'm attracted to eccentricity and, and found it amusing. Um, when there was a conversation going, he didn't call people by name. He would make a trumpet sound and it stopped whatever conversation was going on and he would he would have the attention of the person he wanted. But it was like in the middle, everybody else could be happily sitting there chilling out on a little bit of ash. Everybody's high. Richard liked getting high, of course. Um, and then suddenly, da-da-da, da-da-da. Conversation stopped. Everybody looks up. Richard wants to know something. He has a question. And that's, that's how it began. Um, years spent sitting around smoking weed, smoking hash. Uh, just sharing time together, listening to Tubular Bells, Michael Oldfield's Tubular Bells, or uh, what was the group from uh, uh, German, um, they did, ugh, you know, the Autobahn, uh, Kraftwerk, I guess, and then Firesign Fire Theater, and a complete range of music, of albums, and that's what you wanted. You went and you put on an, you got high and you put on an album and you sat around Richard's red table. Uh, the red table, when Richard passed away, Robin was going to get rid of and the, the tribe shouted out, you cannot 
get rid of that. This this is a this is a museum piece. This is our collective history. So we took that red table. Uh, it by this point it had gone on to the house that Robin's parents had owned, where she is living out in I think Coquitlam maybe. Um, and a bunch of us at a great party, the red table party. Uh, reeled it back and forth. It was going back into the garden. There was a bit of a kerfuffle, and no, it ended up on her front porch. <laughs> I think it might still be there. I don't know because it would it would take a lot of people to move it, and I think it was just decided no, uh, it belongs in your front porch. Um, that's the last I saw it anyway. Um, Robin was a person who lived in Lebanon for quite a while. She lived in Kentucky. She lived wherever she could go to a university where they needed somebody to study something special. She would find these places. She had a career with uh, an insurance firm and decided, no, this isn't for me. And um, became a, 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 a long time, you know, we, we call them full-time students. But studying and, I guess, teaching and lecturing... Uh, so the rock has been to Lebanon and probably Syria, thanks to Robin being a keeper of the rock. See, the rock fits in here, too, because that was very much part of the, the tribal gathering. These are members of the tribe I'm talking about. Um, by God, how wonderful. So I'm glad I went on that little tangent. This was fun. You see, I had no idea uh, when I mentioned, and I wasn't even going to mention John's name, but it just opens things up, you know. And here we here we are. So I'm going to stop there. I think that's 25 minutes. That's a bit enough of a. That's half the podcast. I'll probably have to. Oh, and now the other thing, uh, I had talked about and I've played and uh, um, take a giant step by Taj Mahal. And when I talked about that the first time, I would have mentioned that was from Richard's collection. So I know I am repeating myself, but of course you you forget anyway. And uh, any good teacher goes over his material more than once because he knows students aren't listening half the time so uh yeah that song and that album that record that vinyl was all thanks to uh brother richard so there you go and i'm delighted that uh sister robin was kind enough to uh buy her brother john uh, my two books scarborough dude oh my god eh that was fun. Fun for me. Don't know about you. Well, it should have been fun for you if you're listening. Because that's how you do it. That's how you do spontaneous podcasting, boys and girls. You dig into the memory banks. And you talk about things that you care about. All right. Signing off. Bye for now. No, it's a real Turkish delight. Like, uh, I remember watching a part of the episode when he's in Istanbul and he's getting all excited eating Turkish delight. I think it's Tony. Isn't there some deep fried something else yeah. you could eat? Like, it, it ain't horrible, but it ain't great. No, it's like you're eating solidified jam, but yeah. shitty solidified jam. It's like the jam oh, that congeals at the top of the jar. That's exactly what it is. I yeah. think that is what it is. Yeah. Um, and cover it with chocolate. That's what Turkish delight is. And it's not good chocolate either. It's that it's that Butterfinger chocolate that has it leaves a white dust. <laughs> That's the thing. Dave, I think you need some therapy to deal with your Butterfinger issues, to uh, be honest with you. Mean, you, mean, just, I'm not, you mean you're not wrong. Um, yep, it's no, like, wigwag was a classic when I was a kid. You wigwag, freezer, yes. Smash it. Three musketeers. Wait a second, Mars Bar or Mars Bar? That's that's the nougat king right there. Yeah, right there. I think so. We have, if we have, if we have, we have Mars Bar, 
and we got Hershey's uh, because because with that you also got Milky Way, which wasn't as popular in this, Canada, uh, which was more popular of course, in the state. Yeah, Milky Way, Milky, Mount Rushmore. I'm gonna uh, uh, feed these guys out. Milky Sorry, Dave, Anthony. I'll be back. Don't worry. Got to hear the end of this. British soldiers are issued March March because they're really they're. they're uh, yeah, sorry about that. That was an abrupt ending, but uh, yeah, uh, that's just played off my uh, old iPhone. Well, how did you start again? Hang on, hang on. Okay. Um, yeah, the thing I keep my podcast on, I guess an old iPhone 5 maybe? I think so. Um, that's always fun. They just did, uh, mm, we're doing Mount Rushmore. Um which I enjoy a lot more than Sleep with the Fishes because I could never remember any of those anyway if they're living or dead. But uh, good to have the boys back. You know they do it. They do a good job. There's there's no question when if you're if you're talking about levels of podcasters, uh, Dave and Anthony are are right up there. Like they're they're in the I, I, Anthony would hate to be called the upper class of podcasters. My God, heaven forbid a class system. But um, what do you call the upper echelons? No, you know, it's a standard, okay? So there are certain standards that you have. And, uh, you know, some people sort of, they're maybe in and out and sometimes make it, sometimes don't. But uh, these boys are just consistent and uh, do a great job. Anyway, moving on back to my show, which I wouldn't even know how to categorize. Um, I was driving here. I'm at Bluffers Park. Uh, I had enough of those little stickers you get off when you buy a um, uh, McDonald's coffee. They give you a little sticker, and you collect seven of them or something, and you get a free coffee. Well, that's what I had. And one of the leftover donuts from yesterday that I paid too much for. And drove myself here to Bluffers Park. Now, normally on the weekends, you know, during the summer, it's you can't even get in here. Police at the gate. Uh, but uh, now it's not busy at all, and I packed my uh, folding camp chair, so I'm sitting here facing the uh, waterfront area where they, the boat launch, and of course there's very few boats. I see one skidoo, sea-doo, sorry. Um, very quiet day, but uh, quite nice. Bit of a wind, but it's it's fall, and you've got that wonderful cool air. Now, when I got into the car, for some reason... I reflected back on my years at Toy World. I don't know what got me onto this. I, I worked at a place called Toy World for about five seasons. Uh, this would be summer and Christmas. I started off my very first job, 16 years old, Toy World, Dorval Gardens Shopping Center, where they had a, a Henry Morgan's. That was the big store at the end. I think my sister worked there as a cashier. But my point was that I wanted to explore, which is surprising looking back. Well, maybe it's not. I never once handled cash. I was like a stockroom boy, and that's as as high as I got, even after five years. I was just afraid, and they never tried to push me to say, all right, Ken, you got to do cash tonight. I just didn't feel capable of it. I felt, no, no, I can't handle that. And this is just to illustrate my lack of confidence when I was young. Now, I'm talking 16 to, um, well, if I said five years, it's got to take me up to about 2021. 20, I moved from there to uh, Fairview Mall out in Point Clare when it first opened. 
I, my claim to fame is I had the very first smoked meat sandwich at Fairview Mall back when it uh, opened up. Um, and then to Placeville Marie, which was wonderful. Oh, my God, for the beautiful women of Montreal working in the underground of Placeville Marie. Um, but all that time, I was, like, stock, doing the stock room. I was unloading the trucks, which I loved. Remember the drivers going down the elevator and the trucks would back up in the basement of, you know, this sub-basement of this uh, huge building, and uh, which I remember when it was just a hole in the ground. My father took us into Montreal to show us where the new building was going up, which was going to be Placeville Marie, and years later I'd end up working there, but not on the cash. I unloaded it, I put the stickers on, I, you know, did maybe I did some inventory or something, but nothing handling responsibility. I just did not have it. That is why I, I backed out of being a best man at a friend's wedding. I was crippled by lack of confidence. And I think of somebody like Jason, who I think at a, a young age was probably running uh, whatever he, place he was working. I can't remember which of the chain food stores it was. Um, but he was he was a man. This, we're talking about uh, you know Tennessee Jake. Who could take responsibility and has, you know, to this day. Uh, and I just, boy, it just wasn't in me. And it, part of it was growing up, the youngest child never, you know, being babied a, bit, a little bit and, and just never being ready to step up. And that's why I had to do some of the things I did in my life, like go to Nigeria and, and so on and uh, Japan, as I keep going back to, in order to compensate for what I felt was missing in my life. It just, I mean, it's nothing I, I need to go on much longer about, but just um, a reflection of, wow, yeah, I, you know, the idea of just, and I don't know what it was of, of like, why, what's, what would have been hard about doing the cash in those days, maybe counting change, maybe it was my lack of French, maybe, yeah, that could have been it. Certainly in Montreal, yeah, maybe that was a factor because you had to be bilingual. Uh, and most of the, uh, everybody I knew who was there was either French-speaking or bilingual. Yeah, okay, that's a little piece of the puzzle, maybe. And, uh, but just that idea, you know. Ooh. Okay, not important. <laughs> just had to get rid of that. Uh, and then, then there was something else. And uh, by golly, by gee, now I can't remember. So uh, I'm just going to probably end it there. Clouds have just blocked out the sun. I'm looking at the uh, big swans. Oh, and there are baby swans trailing behind them. How nice. How nice. Yeah, because they're different. They're not the pure white of the uh, parents. They're just sort of a downy gray. Ah, it's so wonderful to have Bluffers Park so close to my home and uh, to be able to come here year-round. There was something else, uh, but, oh, I guess the movie I watched last night, Mother, Mother with an exclamation mark, I think it might have premiered at the Toronto Film Festival, and um, it just, uh, it's it, it kind of blew my mind, it was, it was disturbing, it was very, very disturbing, uh, now where will I ever find that in my notes? Um, of uh, I, they classified it as a horror picture, just so that people would be ready 
to deal with the scenes they were going to see. Uh, directed by Darren Aronofsky, uh, starring Jennifer Lawrence, playing Mother Earth. Uh, Javier, Javier Bardem, and Ed Harris. So uh, a good staff. A picture that, you know, I watched. And now, if you've not seen the film, I'm, g- I'm probably going to release some spoilers here. So zap ahead a few minutes. And, uh, you know, till I'm talking about something else. Uh, because I, I, I do need to go over. Like, I watched it and I was just trying, where is this going? Is this all a hallucination, a dream? Is she insane? Is she not even there? What's real? What's not real? I guess that's what it comes down to. Um, and especially the last half hour, it just it just turns into a, a horror flick. Um, so I watched it. My son had read about it, so he was better prepared than we were. And when when I said that, what the hell was that about? And he came up with answers. And I thought, yeah, and that and now I can see. So then I went on to another site, my Vanity Fair. Uh, so this is a film I'm not recommending, uh, but uh, if you're curious. Uh, you want some entertainment? Uh, wow, it takes you for a ride. Uh, one of the most haunting movies in recent memory. That's the thing. Um, so here goes. So these are spoilers because if I if if you want to figure it out for yourself, uh, stop listening now. And if you've already seen it, or you clearly don't want to see it, you can keep listening. The film depicts the rape and torment of Mother Earth. And I think that's enough right there. As long as you, if you have that, you're okay. The rape and torment of Mother Earth. Um, and it's a lot of biblical stuff in it. Uh, Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve, uh, God the Creator, uh, maybe something to do with the Garden of Eden, and the temptation, the apple. Um it was originally going to be called, or the working title was Day Six, so then you know it's about God. Um, and I guess the conclusion, the the, the thing is, so what, what, what was the point of this film? What are you supposed to get? Um, and the answer, I guess maybe it was Aronofsky who came up with it, was you have to look into darkness to see the light. You have to look into darkness to see the light. Wow. Who... Um, it's important to reflect back on ourselves and think about what's really going on in the world to be able to change course. You've got to have a clearer picture. You have to have your eyes open to what's wrong before you can even start to think about what do we have to do to change. And again, I, I think this does a good job. Uh, so maybe, I guess, boy, if I was a high school teacher, um, well, you'd get a lot of letters from parents. What are you doing? You can't do that. But uh, I think it'd be, I, to me, it'd be very good for uh, high school students to see. All right, um, that's it. I thought I was going to say a lot more. I, I took down some quotes and so on, but uh, that's it. All right, we're back to normal now. So if you fast-forwarded, you've probably gone too far, <laughs> and you're going to miss whatever I had to say next. So... Um, Gosh, I should have put in a song. The clip, the clue would have been, I'll, I'll put in a song. And then as soon as you hear the song, you know, all right, we finished with Mother. But uh, it it was interesting. And I guess the other thing that I liked about it um, was it's just nice watching movies with my wife and my son. Just sitting together and uh, sharing something that we can all 
enjoy, appreciate, talk about. Naoko immediately after the movie, she goes to Japanese websites and reads the Japanese explanations. And, uh, of course, I go to the English ones and uh, my son leaves the room. So, oh, there you go. All right, um, I'm going to stop right there. That was just a little update from Bluffers Park because I've already said too much on this podcast and it's going to be finished and I'm my schedule is all out of whack. Uh, great fun, again, listening to uh, Dave and Anthony on uh, the, uh, what is it, the Marshall McLuhan uh, podcast that they put out. Can't even remember the title of it, but that's probably, that's enough. That's all you need to know anyway. Um... MMVH. Yeah. What's the MMVH? Marshall McLuhan. Variety Hour. Thank you very much. There you go. All right. Take care. Bye for now. Ding, ding, ding. Check, check. Yeah. This is uh, yours truly. uh, Calling in from Bluffers Park again on another beautiful day. It's uh, Wednesday, May 29th, uh, May, uh, <laughs> I try September, it's a fall day at its finest, the sky is just this incredibly beautiful blue, you, you see it and you think, oh my god, this is heaven, this is heaven, a country at peace, with blue sky and fresh air, and a park, with no police harassing you, or military trucks, you just, you know, how good we have it, but uh, anyway, I'm in my element. I came down here, um, had my physiotherapy this morning. Lots of good exercises there. Another thing to be grateful for. All I'm paying for is the parking, and um, you know, going through lots of routines and things that are going to help me a little bit at this Falls Prevention Clinic. I took another slip today when I um, was concentrating on not spilling my coffee. And, of course, my foot didn't lift on a, one of these scatter rugs. And I just sprawled forward but managed to, well, with the help of a chair, <laughs> stop myself from falling completely. Just spilled a little bit of coffee. Uh, anyway, with that aside, I'm here with four books. Uh, the Asimov one, which I'm still reading, The End of Eternity. Uh, the book on... Uh, Chinese philosophy, which led to humanism, or is equated with humanism by a friend from my uh, West Hill United Church. Um, the biography of Henry Miller, which I'm enjoying so much, and it's making me I'm right into the, the mid-50s now, still living in Big Sur. Uh, his mother just dying, and he had a sister who needed, you know, special care. Uh, anyway, uh, reading from that, and now I've just picked up In Search of the Lost Chord, 1967, and The Hippie Idea by Danny Goldberg. I'm telling you all that because I'm going to read a quote from it, and uh, I wouldn't want to be think somebody was stealing something here. I'm just sharing and recommending, wow, what you want to know something about the 60s, this is a great book. Um, this particular passage, Joe McDonald, you know Joe McDonald, The Country Joe and the Fish? As Joe McDonald wrote on his website in 2008, the band was on a plane ride to a gig at the Kitsilano Theatre in Vancouver in mid-February 1967. So I didn't get there until 72. uh, When the band's drummer, Gary Chicken Hirsch, 
told him that he had heard that there was a chemical in banana peels that that could get you high if you smoked it. Hirsch's notion that banana skins had the same hallucinogenic in it as marijuana was erroneous, but Joe was happy to believe it for the moment. We were living on peanut butter and banana sandwiches at the time and just throwing the peelings away, so this seemed like a good idea. At the very same concert, the band's crew told them they were putting LSD into a water bottle in case anyone wanted to trip. They all had some, but because water with LSD tastes just like water without it, and because the banana thing had such an appeal to them, when the band got very high during the show, they attributed it to smoking the banana dean joints they rolled. A week later, when they noticed that the subsequent smoking banana peels didn't have any effect on them, they realized that it had simply been the acid. <laughs> However, during those few days before that occurred to them, their manager, Ed Denson, uh, wrote a Berkeley Barb column that referred referenced people getting high on smoked banana peels in Vancouver and even provided the recipe for how to do so. And that, that made the rounds, getting high on banana peels. I remember that. Uh, never tried it because we knew it was a scam. At almost the same time, Donovan's Mellow Yellow album was released. A few months earlier, the title song had been a hit, so everyone in the hip world knew the lyric. Electrical banana is gonna be a sudden craze. And how well I remember that. Years later, Donovan would reveal that his referen- that he was referring to banana-shaped vibrator that had uh, just been produced in England. But having heard that the banana smoking rumors in America just before the album's release, he was coy about it in interviews at the time, and he succeeded in making himself seem like he was ahead of the curve. So there you go. That's the great banana peel scam. One more take on that story. Uh, This uh, chapter in particular was all about the various magazines, the Realist, the Oracle, Ramparts, and all the other things that were counterculture magazines and starting to spread in the 60s. Uh, just It's just so rich bringing back to life a time that, that's long gone, and a time of hope and dreams and, uh, I guess, illusions as well, and, and a time that didn't last very long because uh, the hard drugs crept in, the dealing was turned over to biker gangs, and uh, benzodrine and speed took over from marijuana, and the whole thing collapsed, uh, sadly. All right. So that's all I wanted to share with you today. I'm just a happy camper. I'm meeting uh, John Meadows for coffee at the only cafe tomorrow. So getting back into that feeling of, yeah, it's safe to go out and uh, meet your friends again, which we haven't done much of. All right. Scarborough Dude signing off from uh, Bluffers Park on an absolutely gorgeous fall day. Bye for now. Check, check. And uh, good afternoon. Discover Dude back at you, and again from Bluffers Park, only I'm sitting in a spot I rarely get because it's usually occupied. There's a point um, on the cat side parking area uh, with a bench, and now I see they've dragged a picnic table over, and uh, people have built fires here, and there's some litter, 
But uh, anyway, it's looking right out to sea. It's I posted a picture for if you follow me on Twitter. Don't know who does, but it's just it's amazing. I mean, this vast expanse of horizon, sea, and sky. It's just amazing. Like so close to home and here in Scarborough. I wasn't going to come. I I had um, met John Meadows for coffee at the Only Cafe. That was wonderful. Left home, drove along the Danforth, and just such an easy route. Go down to Kingston Road, drive Kingston Road till you hit the Danforth, drive along the Danforth, pass. It seems much quicker when you do it by subway because it's just a few stops. But uh, driving, it's a long distance to the only, right, by uh, Donnellan's. But uh, sure enough, a parking spot opened up to me, and the most wonderful of all apps that I have, my all-time favorite, is Green Pea Parking. And you uh, you park your car, you see a post, it's got a number, you open the Green Pea app, you've already prepaid some, and you just type in the number. And then it asks you, it's got, because, you, you know, it knows you, which car are you driving? So that they'll know, and, you know, I'm, it's this one, I'm doing the Toyota today, not the Mazda. Okay, click the Mazda, and so it knows, identifies you. It gives you a warning when you have 10 minutes left. You pay for whatever time you want. Put it in an hour, $3, fine. It gives you a warning in 10 minutes. You're sitting in a bar, and you're like, well, I'm going to go. I've had a great conversation with John. Very enjoyable time, by the way, with a good Americano. Wow, nice and strong. And um, I think I'm going to go to Circus Books and see if they have the missing uh, Asimov one I'm looking for, Foundation and Earth. Uh, they didn't, but uh, I'll get back to that later. Anyway, so you just you're sitting in the cafe and just oh, give me another thirty minutes, would you? Bam, bam, bam. A couple of pokes of your finger and you're done. It's just wonderful. <laughs> uh, you know, compared to the days of having to remember, take take a note, run back to the parking meter, fish in your pocket for more coins. It's crazy. So anyway, there you go. Um, Today is Orange Shirt Day. I think it's the Truth and Reconciliation Day. I think it may be to become a national holiday. It's September 30th. Uh, this is the supposedly the first one, and I'm guessing it will be an annual event. I am wearing an orange shirt. It just happens to be uh, uh, an advertisement for the Squeezebox uh, podcast that I bought. Boy. Back in Kingston, many, many years ago, when Sheen and Tom used to run around making T-shirts. <laughs> wow, have those days passed by. Um, I also passed by, I, I on the way home, instead of coming along uh, Danforth again, I went along um, and came up on, um, gosh, now I'm going to forget the name, uh, where my office was. Coxwell, uh, and took a picture of my old building where I had an office with the with all the other executive directors and accountants and the the uh, important people at the East York Board of Education. I had a free office for years, I and mean, we're talking about superintendent's office, like you know, huge. I had sofas in there. I've, I've told you this before, but it's it's just amazing how I lucked out on that. And I was about the last one to leave the building at the very end. Managed to sell the sofas to somebody who worked there in the kitchen, I guess. 
I used to sit at the 100,000 table, it was called, people who were making that kind of a salary at the board. Ah, gosh. Anyway, memories, memories, memories of my time here and, and time gone by. I'm not going to say much about truth and reconciliation because uh, anybody who's Canadian will be hearing about it all day on the news and so on. But it really, it was the story of um, a young child being taken from home around this time of year and brought to these uh, schools to be have the Indian taken out of them, basically, and become Canadians. You're not allowed to speak your language anymore. Uh, they cut their hair, and this one little child came with an orange shirt that the grandmother had given them, and they took it away right away. And they gave them maybe school uniforms. They, uh, many of these children, a high percentage, I'm sure, were abused physically, emotionally, mentally, and uh, sexually. And... Um, it's the kind of thing, it's like I was saying to my wife today, it's just like when we did uh, acknowledge that we arrested a lot of Canadians of Japanese heritage um, at the onset of World War II and had to come back and do our own truth and reconciliation with the Japanese Canadians and say, wow, these were Canadians and we were racist at the time and uh, uh, locked them up. And my wife said, yes, well, those were the times. Things were different then. And, and this is true. Things were different then. There's a climate of fear. Um, there certainly was racism. It doesn't excuse it, and you have to acknowledge, okay, what was done and why, and and how do you uh, educate people so these things aren't done again. And that's what we're just starting now with uh, the uh, Canada's native population. Um, and I think that's an important thing, and, and very important when I think back my own uh, education and what I was taught about these Indians who were really in in our history books portrayed as savages, uh, the Iroquois in particular, where I grew up here in uh, eastern Canada, in Quebec, because our books were published by the Protestant School Board of Greater Montreal. So they would have one perspective, and that was what we returned as middle-class white children. Uh, anyway, all this is changing, and... Um, it's, uh, I think it's the duty of everybody to uh, become better informed and, and look at things. And this is about acknowledging what was the harm that was done, the wrong that was done, why it was done, and uh, how we can find some reconciliation and make sure this doesn't happen again. And uh, the part that I get a little bit um, uncomfortable about is, you know, what money needs to be paid and to whom. And, you know, I, I don't think money is the answer, but if, if it's going to help. Um, it, the same thing happened for the Japanese Canadians. There was a lump sum given. These are people who lost their homes, their cars, their businesses, their boats, those who were fishermen. Um, and it was sort of a, a token figure, I think $20,000 a family or a person or something. But other money was put into education facilities, such as the, uh, I know a lot of it went into what's the uh, Japanese Canadian Cultural Center. Uh, and other educational programs. And the same has to be done so that people can waken up and figure, yeah, well, why isn't there clean water on the reserves? And uh, maybe even why are there reserves? What does this mean? What's the, what, what, what is our, what is our history, you know, of people who, like me, who some would call settlers, although I'm not, my ancestors certainly were. <sighs> So, anyway, I'm not going to go too deep into that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take a bite out of a um, 
little Simbi cracker. Just hang on. you got to hear the crunch. Now, there's a real crunch of a very tasty, my favorite, Osembe. Wonderful thing, Nelko always comes home. We have a candy dish in our living room, and it's always filled with Japanese snacks. Now, there are some little Kit Kat things in Japanese, different flavors, and two different kinds of Osembe. One more bite, sorry. Mmm, mmm, it is so good. I don't know where she gets them. This one is like it's deep fried. It's a regular senbei. Um I can't read. It's all in Japanese. <coughs> Sorry. Ooh. But man, is that good. Anyway, um, I'm ending this podcast. I thought I'd end it here today. i got to go back home. Uh, the meeting with John over coffee was wonderful. Just sit and talk. Two good friends. A good open conversation about lots of topics. And uh, promises of more to come. It's so easy to do, you know, a little $3 coffee and $4 parking. Uh, that's, uh, that's a pretty fair deal. I didn't treat myself to any of their wonderful baked goods. But I did go to um, um, Circus Books looking for, as I said, the Asimov book. Uh, but I always check out the Henry Miller. I, everything that was there I have already. But I found a book that I do not have in my collection and that I could not leave without buying. It was only $12 hardcover. And it is called The Voice is All. The Lonely Victory. The Lonely Victory of Jack Kerouac by Joyce Johnson, author of Minor Characters. Now, Joyce Johnson, I bought this book because Joyce Johnson is a writer. It's not just somebody who knew Kerouac and are going to cash in on his fame. She's written fiction books, and here she's written an account uh, of Kerouac. Uh, Her fiction's In the Night Cafe, Bad Connections, Come and Join the Dance, which I've read with Joyce Glassman, another Kerouac girlfriend. Nonfiction, Missing Men, a memoir. Doors Wide Open, A Beat Love Affair in Letters, 1957-1958, with Jack Kerouac, her published letters. And What Lisa Knew, The Truths. And Lies of the Steinberg Case. Now, I don't know about that. And Finding Minor Characters, a beat memoir. So, um, this, you know, is going to be well written. I'm off Kerouac. I I just was upset with his, his ending, his drunkenness, his uh, giving up. Uh, and it's time I forgive him. And I think this book, I just opened it up and read random passages, and it was so well written and the points I read were things I need to know. I, I have dozens, really dozens, of Kerouac biographies. This one I don't have. This is new to me. So it was a worthwhile trip, and uh, marked down from $18 to only 12 So uh, I'm kind of happy about that. And uh, you'll be hearing more. I will. I could. I guess I could flip it open and read a random passage. Should we try that? Sometimes those work. Sometimes they don't. Um... Uh, let's see. Oh, Thomas Wolf. Right, so here we are, April 1944. All right. Sammy's death was so painful, Jack did not record it in the diary he was keeping at the time. Sammy was a good friend of his. I thought he died in World War II. 
Um, an omission that shocked him years later when he reread the entries for the spring of 1944. So, yes, Sammy was somebody, a Greek friend, and Jack had many Greek friends uh, that died, I think, during the war. And now um, he's had quite mercy about him. Gee, uh, all right, anyway. Um, all through the relationship, Sammy had been Jack's moral compass. Perhaps that was why it often took Jack a long time to write back to him. And when he did, he evidently said little about his embarrassingly soft life with Edie Parker. Anyway, uh, in April, still dealing with the shock and grief, Jack came, gave up his Columbia pitcher's job, kissed Edie goodbye, and headed south to New Orleans, the destination he had been fantasizing about for a long time. En route, he made a pilgrimage to Asheville, North Carolina, where by chance he met Thomas Wolfe's brother, Jack later remembered little about this trip, which suggested he may have been drinking heavily all the way through it. In his diary, he noted that only he had his fill of the Southland. His real need was to find some deep level of companionship to replace what he had lost. Soon after his return to New York a few weeks later, he would start to fill the void inside him with new relationships. So that was a chapter on the war. It opens following that to a new section called the Libertine Circle. So this is clearly, clearly, clearly a well-written, well-researched. Uh, one of the things it says about the book is it's it's not just going by other people's recollections of Jack, but she's focusing on Jack, the amount of time he spent alone as a writer. So it would be through his diaries and correspondence. Um, not the social Jack, but the Jack, the writer, which is how we really know him. So... Uh, Anyway, good stuff, and uh, one more book for me to read, and, and it's just me finally acknowledging I'm not, I'm not going to stop buying books. I, I was trying to think I had arbitrarily reached a point where, okay, now I start selling books, unloading them, but no, I'm still buying books. Scarborough Dude signing off from Bluffers Park. Uh, next time you hear from me, it will I will be in um, uh, Emily Provincial Park. So stay tuned. Come back for more. If you enjoyed this, and if you didn't, well, hey, maybe better luck next time. Maybe the next one will be a better podcast, more interesting to you. And if not, oh, go fuck yourself. Bye for now. Oop, we'll end on a crunch instead of a bell. We'll end on a crunch. Mmm, 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 mmm. That is so good. These are my favorites. Mmm, 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 mmm.